All righty. It's about that time. How's everybody doing tonight? That good, huh? <laughs> that's right. It, it wasn't raining too bad when I came in, so uh, that's a good thing. Well, I'm glad that y'all are here uh, with me tonight. Does everyone have a handy-dandy handout that wants one? We're in Judges tonight. Judges, this could either go uh, very quickly or it could take us a really long time. I'm not certain yet how it's going to go, so we'll see. Uh, um, just to remind y'all again, because I, I was very aware of it today. Oh yeah, and if you need Bibles, Rick's got them. A servant of the church here, ready to hand them out. Um, please get one and open up to Judges. But while y'all are open in there, you know, Judges, this is a great example of what the purpose of this study is. The purpose of this study is not to cover all 12 Judges. We wouldn't have time, and it wouldn't be as beneficial as the myriad amount of books and studies and study Bibles and uh, Sunday school class and all of those good things where you can, we can see all of those judges in depth and their different uh, endeavors and the, the work of the Lord in each of their lives. Uh, but, but again, this, you know, this survey, the goal is to help y'all and to give y'all a tool to get into judges when you get there again. Say you've never gone through or say you have before, but you're coming back to it. Uh, my hope and my desire is that as we study God's word in this kind of overview fashion, this thematic fashion, that it will help you get into the book of Judges in a deeper way when you come across it again. Be it in your yearly study, you know, your yearly reading plans or your Bible studies, Sunday school class, even sermons. Uh, uh, it. it it, the hope is that uh, after hearing this and with your handout, you'll at least have uh, a way forward and, and a beginning place uh, to study. And, and I think that the book of Judges is a great example because it can be sometimes confusing how it moves forward because it's not chronological, but we want to read it chronologically because that's typically how we read things. And, and we don't really understand where the judges are and what's happening. And then it concludes with some very serious issues, some of the, uh, some of the most graphic scenes in Scripture, period. Uh, and, and it can leave us haunted almost and confused. And so I hope that after we finish tonight's study, uh, we might still be haunted, uh, but haunted by the Holy Spirit as we see uh, what God has in store for us in this really, really wonderful book of the Bible. Let's pray and then talk about the book of Judges. Heavenly Father, we do come to you prayerfully expectant that you might open our eyes to see, that you might open our ears to hear uh, that good news of Jesus Christ, even in the midst uh, of a serious dark age in uh, your people's lives. And so, Lord, we pray as we see the judges, as we see the sin of your people, as we see their repentance and your salvation, Lord, that we would see it and we would hold it uh, uh, dearly and deeply in our own hearts and souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the book of Judges. As you see, the theme, the one-sentence theme that I like to uh, put on our, the top of our handouts here, God reveals the need for a God-given salvation apart from any doings of sinful man. You know, I had mentioned before that uh, my old... Old Testament professor, as well as Hebrew uh, professor Max Roglin, y'all, uh, so he did a Sunday school here, I think, or something. It, I think he's taught here before in some capacity. 
he kind of mentions, and a couple commentators do as well, that Deuteronomy is the Romans of the Old Testament. You know, Romans being that wonderful presentation of gospel truth, then put into action in the second half of Romans. Well, Judges, in a sense, is a, is a beautiful summation of the need for Jesus. Uh, Judges is so bleak and so dark and so nasty uh, that it forces us to look somewhere else because we are so desirous to get out of the muck and the mire and the sinful cycle that we'll see beginning to play itself out, even in the beginning part. And so, in, in a sense, Judges is a culmination of, of all of God's people cry, people's cry uh, that they need a Savior. Uh, they might not know what it looks like. They might not know how God's going to do it, but it's a culmination. We need someone other than ourselves. Uh, so let's kind of dive right in. There, there are three things that will really help us. And, and if, we, if we get them and we can remember them and hold fast to them, we will, we will really, I think, have a solid way forward anytime you open up to any part of the book of Judges. The first thing, and it's the big one, is the cycle. Uh, It's a cycle. uh, It's a downward spiral, really. Not to be too crude. uh, It's kind of like the toilet flushing. Uh, It's a downward spiral into nastiness. That's really what it is. Uh, And it's the cycle is this sin, chastisement, repentance and salvation. We'll see it play out in the second point, because at the very beginning, in the first two chapters, God, uh, by his spirit, reveals this cycle. And it's theoretical. This is what it's going to look like. We see it from the very beginning. And then, boom, each judge successively in different places in Israel, each judge reveals this truth, this sad and sinful and depressing cycle. Uh, uh, God reveals it to us uh, by the recording of his word, and we see that cycle in action. So it goes from theory in the first couple chapters into action. We see that for the vast majority of the text. And then we come to that third, uh, that very heinous part of Judges. Uh, Some serious things happening at the very end. And it's just what it looks like. It is a culmination of sinful depravity. Uh, It's a culmination of what it looks like uh, when we are apart from God. uh, When God uh, uh, is quiet, as it were. God reveals the need for a God-given salvation apart from any doings of sinful man. This is an in-between, by the way. I won't uh, stay on this too long uh, because it's in your handout. Look at it because it's important. But I'll just say this. We're in an in-between. We're transitioning from Joshua uh, into this in-between. I call it the dark ages in the prayer because it is a dark age. Uh, These dark ages for a couple hundred years before Samuel comes. And Samuel, all of a sudden, is another national unifier. We don't have a national unifier like Joshua or Samuel for a couple hundred years. All right? And so the the judges are rising up in these very local contexts, uh, say a certain tribe or a certain city or a certain area. So maybe a couple tribes. Uh, but, But there is no national presence until Samuel, the final judge, that prophet that then ushers in the monarchy, King Saul and then King David. And we'll see that uh, as we transition through. And, and it's really, the kingship is really a part 
of the book of Judges. Uh, and we'll see that as we march through. You see in your solid rock verses, um, Judges, the, it's the second to the last, 17, 6, 18, 1, 19, 1, and 21, 25. There's a refrain. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that really plays itself out. And we'll see it at the end in that third point, the culmination of, the, of this sick depravity. But let's look at the cycle first because it's important for us to see the cycle. Uh, sin, if you recall, sin, chastisement, repentance, and salvation. Let's uh, dive into the text. Chapter 1, uh, let's do uh, chapter 1, verse 28. This is kind of sprinkled. This cycle is sprinkled all throughout chapters 1 and 2. Uh, But these are some very obvious moments where when you read it, you'll see it. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 28. This is an example of the first part of the cycle, sin. Verse 28. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. God had commanded them in Deuteronomy, had commanded them under Joshua to drive them out completely, lest... They become depraved sinfully and blasphemously like the inhabitants of Canaan. So we see here in the very beginning, they're starting off on a bad foot. They did not drive them out. And then it's as if uh, slap in the face after slap in the face. Because after verse uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 28, you get this refrain. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Zebulun did not drive out. Asher did not drive out. Naphtali did not drive out. Uh, you get this, this repeated uh, reality playing itself out uh, that the Canaanites were still there and all of their sin uh, that they enter into on a daily basis was still there. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2 is another example of the sin. Uh, this is God speaking. You shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. Here it comes. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? Chapter 2, verse 10 and 11 is another example of the sin that we might see. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or do the work that he had done for Israel. And here it comes, verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the Baals, the lords, the gods of other religions. Just an example of the sin. It goes on and on. Uh, chastisement. Uh, and, and I use chastisement. Some people say punishment. Uh, God punishes. Uh, you could say that, but I think punish carries a, a, a pejorative only sense in the 21st century where we find ourselves. And, and really what God is doing is chastising his people. Uh, he, is, he is seeking to grow them through the furnace of fire, as it were, to melt away the dross, the impurity, and to remove them from that in a purer state. That's what's happening, and we see that in the chastisement. Uh, remember, this is the theoretical portion, the cycle being presented to us, chapters 1 and 2. See it with me in chapter 2, verse 3. So now I say, this is God. I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And then the people of Israel, they weep. Uh, This this reality that God's doing, and and he he speaks of it later as well, uh, later in chapter 2, and he says that that he's going to leave them there because the people have transgressed his covenant and, and that they're going to be a test 
a test to the people to see if they'll remain faithful. Not a trial, uh, or rather, uh, uh, not a temptation. God doesn't tempt, but God does test. And, and so we see it here that, that he's no longer going to bless the driving out as he did with Joshua. And boom, they are going to stay. And now God's people are going to be tested to see if they might remain faithful. God remains faithful. God himself says that he would, he would never transgress his covenant. And his covenant was to keep uh, his people uh, in perpetuity, uh, to, to save them forever. Uh, but he would test them here to see what their response would be. Well, in this chastisement, uh, which typically played itself out as a giving over to the people, you'll see this, we'll see this when we go through the examples, uh, that uh, inaction portion, the big beef part of the, of the book. We'll see it where God in his providence uh, and in his um, uh, mysterious decree gives God's people over into the, uh, you know, into either slavery under or defeat from uh, these enemies, the Canaanites that are still in the land. Uh, the next part of the cycle, we've got sin, we've got chastisement, giving over of the people to the enemies. There's repentance and pleas. They, they plea before the Lord. They repent before the Lord. Uh, this is chapter 2, uh, verse 16. This is the theoretical portion. We'll see it in action later. The Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. That's one. Uh, chapter 18, the first part. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, uh, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. It was salvation. You know, they would repent, uh, and then, that's the second part. Uh, you saw it all in verse 18. They would, they would cry out. They would plead to the Lord, please save us. And God would raise up a judge. And those judges would judge in the name of the Lord, by the power of the Lord, with the spirit indwelling within them. God would save even as his people were sinning. And then, well, you repeat the whole story again. Chapter 2, verse 17 is a good example. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down before them. And you see this playing, this cycle, it, it's repeated over and over and over in the first two chapters. Uh, sin, chastisement, repentance and a plea to God, salvation from God, repeat. And it goes around and around and around in different places in Israel. And we're seeing it recorded all for us until we hit the very bottom of the barrel. And that's the last part, uh, but we'll get there at the end. So let's see the cycle in action. We see it theoretically, and we can say, okay, maybe, maybe I see it, maybe I don't. But after we see it in action, it'll be very obvious. Let's look at, we're not going to look at all the judges. And not all the judges show every piece of this, but it holds, it holds true uh, for the majority. And is a very excellent way uh, to go through judges. Let's look at uh, Deborah first. Deborah is a good one. We have Deborah the judge in here with us. Uh, she's, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know where we go from here now. Uh, 
So, so Deborah, uh, Deborah is uh, a female judge, actually uh, the godliest of all the judges in the book of Judges. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, you know, people always can sometimes come to me as a minister, especially, uh, and they might have a chip on their, soldier, uh, on their shoulder about, uh, about how God and the Christian religion is very chauvinist. And I say it's interesting uh, because the scriptures that I read are very feminist. Uh, a lot of times the ladies get the most wonderful uh, realities laid out before us. And, and we see this, this excellent uh, and perfect example here with Deborah where uh, she just is, is the godliest person in the whole book. No one else compares to Deborah. Uh, if you read it, it's remarkable. And it's remarkable that this is happening uh, uh, way before any of us were ever thinking about these kinds of things. Uh, this was happening in a time where uh, this was unheard of. We've seen it before. Uh, the, the Daughters of Zelophehad, for instance, is a great example. But we'll see it again as we continue to march through Scripture. Uh, God uh, is not a chauvinist. God loves his people, and he works through his people. And some of his people are women. And so uh, we see Deborah here, a uh, very godly woman uh, called by the Lord. And so we see in verse 1 of chapter 4, uh, the first part of the cycle, sin. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ahud died. That was the previous, um, the previous judge. The people again did what was evil, sin. There's the first part of the cycle. The second part, chastisement. Well, verse 2. The Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, so, so we see in a moment sin, and then immediately chastisement from the Lord. What happens next? Well, there's repentance and plea. Uh, chapter three. I mean, uh, chapter four, verse three. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. And so after 20, after 20 years, so, so don't lose the time frame, they cry and they say, God, please save us. We can't do it on our own. Well, chapter 4, verses 4 through 24. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And it goes on. And it shows how through Deborah and uh, uh, Barak was there as well. Uh, God works on behalf of his people. And so we see salvation uh, playing itself out in verses 4 through 24. The main story. So we get this cycle laid out, and then we get the stories that we love to hear and see. God's working on behalf of his people. That's what makes Judges, uh, uh, before the last part, so memorable. We can remember a lot of these stories. Deborah, Gideon and the Midianites, Samson and Delilah. Uh, the, these stories are just, uh, they're so provocative. And yet there's this cycle playing itself out that can deepen our understanding of these already sometimes well-known stories. Uh, don't miss chapter 4, verse 14. And I'm, I'm just going to read it right now, and then I'm going to ask you to remember it later uh, because we're going to see this play itself out. It's going to be obvious when I read it, but we'll see it in each story, and it's very important for us. Uh, chapter 4, verse 14. So this is happening. We see the cycle, but we mustn't miss God uh, in the story. Chapter 4, verse 14. This is what Deborah says. And Deborah said to Barak, up, 
For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? Remember it. We'll see it again. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at another judge. This is, remember, the cycle in action. We're seeing, uh, uh, we're seeing this cycle playing itself out. Let's go to Gideon, chapter 6. Gideon, uh, it's easy to remember who Gideon fought because he fought someone who rhymes with his name. Gideon and the Midianites. He fought the Midianites. And so you remember Gideon and Midian. Uh, and so uh, with Gideon, we see chapter 6, verse 1, the first part of the cycle. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then we see the second part of verse 1, which is the second part of the cycle, chastisement. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Well, then we come to uh, the, the next parts, really verses 1 through 6 uh, and, and uh, for the chastisement because that, that shows how it plays out. You couldn't, couldn't really plant crops because if you did, they would come get them. And then if you didn't have them, well, then you would get in trouble. All of this stuff is playing out, this taxation and, and serious uh, uh, um, oppression by Midian and the Midianites. Then you get chapter 6, verses 6 through 24. Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Now, this is a good example uh, of when I said, you know, it's not perfect. The cycle isn't supposed to be just this, like, gem uh, where it's the same exact words every time. Little things play out in different ways. And in this one, a prophet comes and says, what in the world are y'all doing? Of course you're ha- this is happening to you. What are you doing? And then after that, we see uh, Gideon doing his thing in the field, and an angel of the Lord appears, right? But Gideon is called nonetheless, and all of a sudden, in the repentance, as the people are crying out, a prophet comes, and then a judge is called. Gideon, uh, very, very fearful. Um, some go so far as to say sinful in testing the Lord. Because if you don't remember the story, Gideon was so doubtful. Uh, and so uncourageous that he said, well, Lord, I need a couple signs. Uh, show me dew on the fleece. Show me no dew on the fleece. Show me a shadow. Show me all of these things that I might know. And then even at the very end, after, Lord, after the Lord had done all of it, he still required a sign. And so he snuck into the enemy base. And the guy said, the enemy said, I had a dream. Gideon was going to come and kill us. And so Gideon said, all right, God's on our side. And then he went back and they did it. And so uh, he... The judges were not perfect, and we'll see that at the end, and we'll see what God's doing. Remember the theme. God reveals the need for a God-given salvation apart from any doings of sinful man. We see that even in the judges. But uh, with Gideon, that was the third part. He's called. All of a sudden, in the repentance, there's salvation, and that's the rest of the story, 6 through chapter 8. The things that we remember, all of those tests, uh, the Midianites being defeated as they are quite scared. They're thrown into tumult and turmoil and, and Gideon, with 300 men, kills them all. They're fleeing. They're, they're defeated. Uh, and that's something else. Chapter 7, verse 2. Remember I talked about Deborah, that verse, the Lord goes before us. Chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. I'm not going to say anything else about it, but remember it. God is saying, I'm going to lessen the amount of people that are near you because I want you to know I did it. I want you and everyone to know I did it. Remember that. 
All right, let's look at one final judge, and then we'll go to the third point. One final judge, Samson. Let's go to chapter 13. This takes us all the way through the judge cycles. Samson is the final judge, apart from Samuel, uh, who fulfills, really, the judges and enters into this kind of truly prophetic uh, role. Samson, chapter 13, verse 1. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It should be getting used to. That refrain is happening now. The first part of the cycle, sin. Uh, Well, then we get uh, this chastisement. uh, We see that um, in chapter 13, verse 1 as well. So the Lord gave him into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Oh, the Philistines, the thorn in the side of Israel. Even David. Uh, would be killing Philistines still and battling with them, losing to them at times, the Philistines, uh, rearing their ugly head against God's people. Well, then, uh, like Gideon, we see a bit of a, a different story playing itself out with Samson. There's an interesting birth scene here. Uh, the angel of the Lord appears. Uh, in fact, not only, uh, not only an angel, some, some people interpret that this angel, because he is worshipped, uh, might even be uh, an apparition, an appearance of Jesus Christ, the angel, perhaps even that angel uh, that Jacob wrestled with. Remember, until he lost with a, a bit of divine uh, providence, the poking of the hip there uh, that put his hip out of joint, uh, Jacob then being named Israel. Well, this is that, the angel of the Lord. Uh, it's the same, the angel of the Lord uh, that Joshua saw before the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, and he pulled his sword and said, Are you with us or are you against us? And the angel of the Lord said, Neither. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. It's this, the angel of the Lord. Uh, Gideon saw him. Uh, Samson's parents see him. And uh, this angel has something inter- interesting to say. Behold, you're very old. You're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby. Just like, uh, just like John, actually. You remember uh, John, his dad, Zechariah, and wife, Elizabeth? And the angel appeared and said, Behold, you're very old. You're going to have a baby. It's almost word for word. Parallels aside, uh, it's, it's an interesting difference there in the repentance and plea moment because we see that they're in the hands of the Philistines and yet uh, God is taking action on behalf of his people as he says, behold, uh, this, this man that's going to be born is going to be a Nazarite. Don't let him drink wine. Don't cut his hair. He's going to be set apart. He's going to be holy to me. If you know anything about Samson, he is very sinful and breaks almost every Nazarite vow. But apart from that, chapters, I mean, uh, yeah, chapters rather, 14 through 16, after that uh, repentance and plea, really God uh, uh, pleading on our behalf comes in and saves his people through Samson. It's a crazy story, though. Foxes are lit on fire. Uh, Jawbones of a donkey are used to slay hundreds. Uh, Prostitutes enter the scene. Hair is cut. Power is lost, power is re, uh, regained, this hair grows back, and the walls again come tumbling down, this time on no less than 3,000 uh, enemies of God. Uh, the people of Israel were saved again. And yet, uh, if we look and, and recall this, this will be the last time we do it, chapter 16, verse 20. This is the last, kind of the culmination of the Samson saga. Chapter 16, verse 20, sums up Samson. 
chapter 16, verse 20. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And then verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Verse 29. Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Samson uh, uh, did miraculous wonders, and yet... God himself uh, answering Samson's prayer. Um, We see, uh, just to let you know, and you'll see this in your handout, you know, Hebrews 11 makes mention of these people again. Uh, It makes mention of their faith. And and yet it's there that we need to pause and see uh, this theme again, that God reveals the need for a God-given salvation apart from any doings of sinful man. The judges that were called to save were sinful and they are represented as such. Uh, even, uh, you know, Deborah herself, uh, perhaps being the exemption that proves the rule. Uh, these judges were nasty. I, I mean, it, they were not paragons of the faith. And yet, the author of Hebrews says that they are. Uh, it, it's a moment for us where we begin to realize that faith itself is even given to us by the Holy Spirit. And as we recognize that our lives are in the hands of God, and as he saves us, and as he is the one working on our behalf, as he is the one in our work that we are doing on behalf of others, that it is God's working, not our own. You people all the time, your church is so hypocritical. You, you're, you say you're a Christian. Christians are so hypocritical. I say you're right. We are hypocrites. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we are sinful. God reveals the need for a God-given salvation apart from any workings of sinful man. We can't do it on our own. And so God fills these judges with the Spirit and shows us, as it were, with these little tiny torches all throughout Israel, what is to come. The King, ah, the Messiah, if you wanted to do it in the Hebrew, the Anointed One, or if you want to do it in the Greek, the Christ. So that's it in action. Sin, chastisement, repentance, salvation. Uh, There's an interesting moment uh, where you see in all of these stories God working on behalf of his people. God is the one who is working, even in the midst of very sinful people. We come now to this last part. And remember, uh, I feel like I'm saying it a lot, but it's important. This is not meant to cover everything. This is meant to help you get into it. And this is the part where we need to really make sure we know what's going on. Because it can be a stumbling block even for believers. Uh, in the next scenes, uh, the first part isn't so bad. Uh, it's, it should be very heinous in our eyes. Uh, there's blasphemy against the Lord happening and against the priesthood. And yet in the, in the next part, uh, there is uh, scandalous and depraved rape. Uh, and and it's, it's described in these 
heinous terms that we haven't seen since Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's done so on purpose. Uh, We are meant to think of Sodom and Gomorrah as we see uh, the sinfulness of Gibeah playing out before our very eyes. The culmination of the downward cycle. We're at the very bottom now. When we come to chapter 17 uh, through 21. So we saw that beginning part uh, of verses 1 and 2 showing the cycle. The next part uh, shows it in action. And now we come to just, there's nothing left. The cycle has gone to the very bottom. The first part is chapter 17 and 18. Depravity and worship. Uh, That's a story about a young man named Micah. Uh, Micah and his mother uh, contrived this uh, idea that they are going to create for themselves a church, a house church. In fact, they're going to hire a priest, a wandering priest, and they're going to pay him a lot of money and and keep him safe. Well, they thought they would keep him safe, uh, but as they were creating idols that were very blasphemous unto God, uh, you know, creating all these kind of falsities uh, that looked like priestly garments but were really just gross caricatures of what they should be as we saw in Leviticus. As all of this is happening, well, the tribe of Dan decided that they wanted that guy because he looked pretty cool. And so they took him. They kidnapped this priest and they went their very merry way. And so we see in this, it can be confusing to us sometimes because we think, what in the world is happening? Why is this here? Uh, but, but it's a culmination and a reality uh, that, that God has been usurped by sinful man in the eyes and the hearts of some of his people. And that with this blindness, they are moving about in a way that they feel is holy and in a way that they feel is religious. And yet they have taken the religion and they have warped it and bent it until it broke. And then they just have a sad and sickly caricature a straw man that won't even stand up. And more than that, they're fighting over it. Incredible. We should be offended by it. That's the, that's the feeling that we should have. That's the feeling that the readers would have as they were reading it and thinking, where in the world? What are they doing? Where did they get this? And then we come to something even worse. There's a depravity in worship, but then there's a depravity in life. That's chapters 19 and 20. This is a good part to draw your attention again to that solid rock verse, the second to last one, 17.6. Remember, this is the culmination, the conclusion, chapter 17 through 21, right? Uh, Notice the refrain, 17.6, 18.1, 19.1, and then 21.25 is the very last verse. We'll just read 17.6 real quick. Uh, Let's read, since we're at 19 already, we moved past, let's do 19.1. In those days when there was no king in Israel, uh, there it is, no king. A certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. Here's the first part. Uh, (laughs) A Levite, the priestly class, taking to himself a concubine? What are we doing? And so again, we're starting off on the wrong foot, and yet... Uh, They come and they're looking for housing. They're wandering. They finally found a house. Uh, This old man uh, uh, says, listen, you need to to get inside. Uh, Please don't sleep in the square. And again, that that is is part and parcel of Genesis and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Because, you know, they they come into town, uh, the, the angels, right? And they say, please, you don't need to sleep in the square. Please come into my house. Lot, please come into my house. You don't need to sleep in the square. Why? 
Well, they get a knock on the door. We want to know these individuals. And know in the Old Testament uh, is, is an intimacy word. It's not like our head knowledge that we use it now in the English language in the 21st century. Uh, this was much more intimate, sexual in nature. We want to know them. We want to know that Levite. And then the heinousness only rises because the Levite says, well, don't take me, take my concubine. You say, what? And the men, of course, agree. Okay, what are we doing? And then they do. And they rape her literally to death. And she is on the doorstep waiting to come into the door that was never opened. The depravity and the sickness of God's people playing itself out before God's people's very own eyes would lead them to utter disgust in themselves. And from that, we see what a lot of people get hung up on. And that is the cutting limb from limb uh, of this, this concubine. Uh, one limb goes to one tribe. One leg goes to another tribe to show the nastiness and the travesty that took place in Gibeah. And everyone says, how in the world could somebody do that? She was already dead. You should be disgusted at the things that happened before that. Yes, that's crazy. What in the world are we talking about? Sending limbs all over the nation? What? Yes, but she was already dead. It was the stuff that happened before that should truly wrench your gut. And make you question, why in the world are we reading this? Raped to death. What do we do with that? It was a depravity in life so sick, so debasing, it's hard to think how we could get much lower. But that's not where we end. That's not where we end. From that, you know, those limbs that got sent out, the sickness of Gibeah, well, there was recompense. They wanted vengeance. That is the nation of Israel. And so they rose up and they said, Benjamin, which was where Gibeah was. And that's the tribe. Benjamin, what have you done? Benjamin said, we have done nothing. Come at us if you want. And so Israel in all its force, 11 tribes rose to fight against Benjamin. And Benjamin, though fighting valiantly, died. A tribe died in civil war. And yet they didn't die. They were reborn because the people of Israel realized what they had done. And they thought to themselves, the people of God cannot be destroyed. Even in vast and dark sinfulness. And so at the very end, you see it here in your solid rock verses. Judges 21, last chapter. We'll just read verse 17. What have we done? This is what they said. There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe not be blotted out from Israel. Verse 24. The people of Israel departed from there at that time. Every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from there. Every man to his inheritance. It's a repeat at the end of Joshua. Every man went out to his inheritance at the end of Joshua. And they had rest. It's a repeat again. After all of this heinousness. After Joshua was almost, I mean uh, Benjamin was almost blotted out. 
and then yet raised again and brought back into God's people's family after serious retribution uh, that they wouldn't come back from. They had to join with Judah, essentially. They never uh, uh, arose again in the power uh, that they had then. And yet, they went back to their inheritance that God had given them and God said he would never take away because God promised that he would never depart from his covenant that he had made with them, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob being Israel, Israel being his 12 sons who turned into nations. Not a single one of them would lose their inheritance. And yet, at the end of the book of Judges, you should be filled with such utter disgust and sickness when you look at God's people then. And then you should stop and think, lest you judge them, because that depravity lives within your own heart apart from Jesus Christ. It's the moment where we realize that we are so sinful and so sick and so utterly depraved that we cannot do anything on our own. And we go back to the theme of the book. God reveals the need for a God-given salvation apart from any doings of sinful man. There's a lot of stuff that happens in here We're at the bottom of the barrel at the last part. We need a savior. The very last verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They need a savior. They need a king. They need one anointed by God to come and to show them the way. They would get that. In the English, in the English Bible, our canon, we put Ruth next. Ruth being that great-great-grandmama of David himself. Uh, they do it like that on purpose because Judges is crying over and over. We need someone from God for us. We're in the dark ages. When you go to the book of Judges and you open it up and you see this nastiness, remember that that nastiness dwells within you apart from Jesus. And that's where you'll begin to see God in this text and see Jesus in this text and see the salvation that God uh, reaps on our behalf, even from blighted and, and just utterly dead crops. A full harvest is had by our God because he saves his people to the uttermost. We need him and we need him because of the book of Judges. That's why we need God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Judges where we see the sinful depravity of humankind laid out before us in stark uh, stories and realities. And so God, we pray and we thank you for Jesus Christ, for sending your son on our behalf Uh, That not only would he save us from our sins, but that uh, by your Holy Spirit, God, that indwells within us and fills us, we would be able to live righteously, seeking your glory. Not to save ourselves. We can't do it, God. Uh, No, Father, uh, because we have been saved, we thank you that we can move forward, not like your people apart from you in a test. No, Lord, because the test has been passed in the name of Jesus 
and we stand with full confidence because of what he has done for us. Lord, help us to see it in the book of Judges. We thank you for the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.